All right, everybody, thank you for joining. This is DeFi Alpha, um, project lead at AMI, and really excited to be having a chat with you. Um, before I get into it, I just kind of want to take a pulse here. How many of you guys, let me see some claps or some thumbs up if you are still feeling good about Umami despite the terrible market conditions. Are we, are we optimistic? I'm trying to get a gauge. Let me see some claps, thumbs up, hearts for those who are still feeling it. That's good to see. Um, that's good to see. And I have a feeling that the vibe is going to be even better, better um, when this is over, when this, this call is over. So let me let me get you guys up to speed. You know, we've had a number of, you know, YouTube um, influencer AMAs, um, podcasts, and that sort of thing. So we've been kind of dropping quite a few updates and some alpha through that. But I know that we're overdue for a community call. So I'm really excited to be doing this. Um, and, you know, I think that it's going to be it's going to be worth your guys' while because we definitely have some pretty exciting things to share. Um, so I think, you know, first, I probably worth you know just kind of commenting on the on the macro environment um, particularly with respect to crypto obviously you know the markets have been a mess and you know of course that has affected our price because virtually everything has priced uh, repriced downwards dramatically um, but you know I think one of the nice things about our situation in Umami right for a number of reasons is that you know we we don't we are uh, we're about the furthest thing right from a sort of near-term oriented um, play on you know, the price of the token mooning, right? This has always been a play based on real earnings in ETH, you know, from real protocol revenue driven by products that are not, you know, that are not sensitive to market fluctuations. In fact, quite the opposite, right? I mean, I think that everyone here at this point knows us well enough to know that, you know, we're gearing up to launch this Delta Neutral vault very soon, a uh, vault for USDC, um, expecting, you know, even in the current uh, market, you know, at least 20% uh, plus APR in USDC for depositors. And, and that's the kind of thing that, uh, the kind of product that's very attractive to, you know, a wide variety of, of users, including institutional capital in virtually, you know, any, any market circumstance, and I think probably even more so um, given, given the volatility that we're seeing in the market right now. So um, that, that sort of emphasis, the fact that, you know, the Umami token is driven by you know, ETH-denominated yield gleaned from, you know, protocol revenue from products like that um, makes us feel, you know, very very sort of bear market proof in terms of our model, um, even if the token is down, for those of you who are marinating. Um, you know, we just pushed a newsletter. Um, Grumpy Pants, our community mod, um, wrote it and, and shipped it earlier. We tallied the amount of ETH that we that we shipped to Umami marinators this week. It was more than eight ETH, right? So even in a down market, um, we're still, you know, for, for holders who, who are sticking with us, it's still obviously you know, a strong passive income play. And, you know, I think crucially, um, the, the runway for generating revenue for Umami protocol revenue is, is really unaffected by this, right? I mean, if anything, it is arguably in some ways better. And we can talk about that shortly. But, you know, the, the, the key strategic asset that Umami has is its protocol and liquidity. And starting, you know, back in March, um, Umami committed to a delta neutral strategy. 
for its treasury, which means that even though the market has gone down, our treasury has gone down by, by dramatically less. And, and actually, I misspoke. We're not delta neutral, but we are delta minimized. We, we do have some. We always had some delta. But our, our treasury is still strong, and we still generate you know significant protocol revenue, um, treasury yield, and you know that, that supports our operations. So we are continuing to hire even in this bull market and interviewing devs to you know execute on our product roadmap. So um, just kind of trying to give you guys some color that you know Umami is in a very unique um, and desirable position in this market for all the reasons that I said. You know, passive income for holders, irrespective of price, protocol-owned liquidity that is hedged as the foundation for um, covering its operational expenses, allowing it to you know continue to build and even to hire and expand its team in this market, and then a product pipeline that you know is is if anything more appealing in a bear market. People want risk-hedged assets, um, you know, risk-hedged vaults like the USDC vault that we're going to launch. So. We're feeling very good, um, and we're really only watching the market to the extent that we need to, you know, continually set our hedges for our for our treasury assets. But beyond that, um, we are really much more focused on our product roadmap. We're much more focused on, you know, very near term um, inflection points for us, which we'll talk about in a second. And that's where our conversations internally are are at. So, you know, it's it's umami in this market. It's a good place to be. Um, and, you know, before I kind of get into the specifics, I think it's worth, um, you know, sharing just a few additional thoughts on, on the macro climate that we're in, you know, this months before the market started to tank, Umami made a commitment to being a very, very sustainable project. We don't have any emissions of our token, a fixed max supply of 1 million tokens, um, you know, our, our yield comes from ETH and, you know, the ETH comes from protocol revenue from our products. And, you know, this, this was in, a, in an environment where there was still, you know, most people were very interested in sort of Ponzu um, tokenomics for DeFi projects. And, you know, we, we chose to make that pivot, you know, sort of before it was cool, if you will. Um, and, you know, we we're seeing the benefits of that now. And I think that what's going to happen over the next couple of months, projects that you know were reliant on you know emissions, were reliant on sort of speculative value supporting their token, are may well not make it through this market, and that's going to have you know the effect that it has um, in the near term because there is going to be a shakeout. We've obviously seen a lot of liquidations, um, you know, but longer term, Umami is going to be in a really really strong position because of this. You know, we're going to be on, you know, still all the same core assets we have. We're going to be on Arbitrum. We're going to be, you know, very, uh, very, you know, capable of, you know, continuing to launch um, vaults. We're going to be able to hire up people, including people who were laid off by other projects. And I think we're going to stand out more than ever um, as, as a result of, of the shakeout that we're seeing. So with that in mind, let's get into some sort of immediate um, kind of practical things that I think are going to be really exciting for you. And like I said, this is where our head is at. We are not, um, we're not sitting here, you know, fretting over the charts. Um, instead, some things that we're really focused on, we are, we have finished testing for our Delta Neutral Vault internally. So what that means is that on our end, the Delta Neutral Vault is complete. It is working. In fact, um, 
we've tested it live on Arbitrum mainnet and you know confirmed that it is you know it does operate as hoped um and so the only the only thing that is preventing us from launching is just that we want to uh wait for Zokio to complete its audit which you know is scheduled we we just uh, contacted them recently it's scheduled for um early next week is is their deadline um so once that's done we'll be able to go full steam ahead with the vault um we have already worked with you know the incredibly talented Tendino, our designer, to create the Figmas for the vault. So we have you know full uh, you, you know UI design um, in place, and um, our our lead front end dev has is well on his way to completing the uh, the building of the front end code. So the vault is essentially finished, and we are just waiting um, on the finishing touches for the audit, which are due early next week. Um, the audit has raised no significant concerns that are causing us to have to revisit our code at all. Um, so we're feeling great about that. And um, we, in fact, have, you know, kind of further bolstered the vaults just, just recently with a partnership with Insurace, if you guys are familiar with them. Um, they're one of the leading DeFi insurance providers, and they have agreed to initiate an underwriting process for our uh, USDC vaults. So that does, you know, the, the way that that works is that that always starts after the audit and it does take some time before they complete it. But we should have insurance live and available for the vault within one month of launch. So we're, you know, assuming sort of late July for that. Um, so we're pretty pleased with, you know, how progress has gone on that. We will be launching probably... Last week in June, we might just choose July 1st, um, but we could do earlier. And, you know, once that launches, we're excited to bring in, you know, pretty significant uh, TVL. And I mean, that's another thing that's really kept us busy is that we've been in contact with, you know, not only, you know, a lot of interested whales and influencers. I think, you know, those of you who have hung out in our Discord have seen some pretty, uh, pretty interesting visits from some very well-known uh, whale influencers. But, Really interesting in our vault goes, you know, far beyond sort of the the immediate sort of crypto Twitter universe. Um, we have gotten a lot of inbound interest from institutional capital. Literally just yesterday, um, I was in meetings with institutional capital representing more than, you know, close to uh, $100 million in AUM, right? I'm not saying that would all go into the vault, but that's um, just an example of one day's worth of uh, business development. Conversation. So there's a lot of TradFi interest. There's, of course, very strong interest from protocol treasuries. Um, as I think I've shared before in various contexts, our real concern here is actually not, you know, can we get enough TVL into this vault? This is a high yield USDC vault that is delta neutral. So, you know, the concern is not can we can we get enough TVL? It's, you know, how how do we manage the fact that demand outstrips supply? Um, how do we scale strategically the the cap on TVL in the vault to make sure that you know we are not at any point sort of overwhelming the ability of you know GLP or you know tracers perp pools to absorb liquidity. So our conversations are in other words much more focused on you know how do we manage what we now know will be a very, very large influx of TVL into that vault. Um, you know, as opposed to the opposite. And, and there's actually something on top of that that is even more exciting um, that, that I'm 
well, this will be alpha. I think that this is not something that I've really had a chance to share um, publicly before in any detail, but I will do it on this call. So what we're very excited about, and this is sort of uh, something we've arrived at pretty recently, is that we have realized that the, the code that we've created, we always focus on composability, and the code that we've created really positions us well to create um, some other vaults using very similar strategies that will be, in many ways, complementary to the USDC vault um, much sooner than we might have anticipated. You know, essentially, we'll be largely repurposing and making minor tweaks to the existing code that's you know, essentially been audited. Um, and that's a huge opportunity for us. So the internal timeline that we have right now, and again, we'll, we'll share you know, more detailed guidance publicly soon, but you know, basically the internal timeline that we're going for is that we're going to be launching um, the USDC vaults you know, either by July 1st or late June, and then very quickly following, it on, um, following that with a ETH-based vault and a BTC. Bitcoin based vault that are also built on GLP, utilize TracerDAO's hedging uh, tokens. Um, but, you know, in the case of the ETH, you can deposit ETH, um, maintain exposure to the performance of ETH, and collect yield in ETH. And you can guess what the Bitcoin vault um, is going to look like, sort of based on what I just said. So, to be honest, you know, for those of you who kind of are, are very familiar with the market, um, in, in DeFi, you know, as, as much as USDC yield is coveted, it is incredibly hard to find ETH and BTC yield. I think most people are, are probably familiar um, with that. And so we think that you know, the market there is, is actually pretty, pretty impressive. I mean, because we, we know that this vault should be able to produce, you know, 15% plus yield on ETH, 15% plus yield on BTC. And you know the beauty of this, the sort of structure that we're we're going with in terms of the timeline for our product launches is that you know during this you know very choppy difficult period in the market we'll have a live USDC vault, but you know anyone who's sort of following technical analysis has seen that no one is expecting you know a permanent state of you know sub 1,000 ETH for example, and that you know there will be. A rebound at some point, and there's going to be a demand for exposure to the upside of Bitcoin and ETH, and let alone demand for having you know that upside exposure while also accumulating double-digit yield. So these are all things that we expect to have out by early August, um, and you know the the market is pretty incredible. Um, you know, with Umami Labs LLC fully in place, with Umami Dow Foundation and its final state of review in the Caymans, we are unusually well positioned to core institutional capital. Um, and as I think I mentioned earlier, you know, we are, it, our, our goals don't stop here, right? That is our initial foundation that we're then going to be building on in the coming months. Um, if you guys know any Solidity devs, um, or React devs, although we now have two great uh, front-end devs. But if you know any Solidity devs, we are still hiring. Um, we are trying to build out a very robust team. In fact, you know, we already have more full-time devs than some very large projects in the space. Um, but based on the ambitious 
nature of our pipeline, we want to hire more. So, you know, please let us know if you know anyone, because um, that that's where we're at, irrespective of the market, is you know, hiring and building. Um, I think that I, I think that I've really shared most of our key points with that. Um, we have started a couple of other products, and we can share more details later, but they're pretty cool, pretty innovative, and they are proprietary. Um, we don't necessarily want to leak all the details about them yet, so we'll do that later. Um, and maybe with that, I will open it up to questions. Um, do we have any questions in the Twitter spaces? Um, while I wait for people to raise their hand, don't forget that we have an AMA questions and chat channel on our Discord, so people who for whatever reason can't speak, can drop it there and I'll share a link on our Twitter. JD Tiger, um, let me get you up here. Hey there, sir. Hey guys, how you doing today? Good, good. I'm how doing just fine. I appreciate you guys as always doing one of these. Um, you know, I have not been as uh, completely involved and, and these give me an opportunity to kind of get a um, a good recap on, on what you guys have been up to. So especially during, uh, you know, crypto winter, uh, ask mm -hmm. situation that we're experiencing. I really appreciate the the outreach here. Um, you know, but with that being said, uh, one of the things that I'm really kind of coming to an understanding of is the you know intellectual and proprietary knowledge that the members of Umami have, um, and and even the the you know the coding that we're putting together in order to create these different kinds of products. Um, are incredible, but uh, it, from what I know, at least, is that you know this coding can be uh, easily put into the public domain. Uh, and I'm just curious on what are the ideas and the thoughts and strategies that uh, Umami currently has to protect um, and make sure that this is not something that another company with more capital could just copy and paste, um, stealing market share from Umami. That's a great question, um, and I, I have thought about this a lot, so I'll, I'll share a few points. So first of all, I think, I think it's worth noting a couple things. There are actually not that many projects that are doing what we're doing in the way that we're doing it. Um, certainly not on Arbitrum, right? I mean, it's still, Arbitrum is still a greenfield for us, and you know, really in just the, the ecosystem as a whole, there are not that many. And so, you know, when we say companies with more capital, so we're sort of imagining someone in a better position to be building what we're building right now, um, there are larger projects, but many of them are sort of classic, very decentralized DAOs in terms of their organizational structure. Um, I probably shouldn't name names, but just, just for, for an example, think about a project like Yearn. And I can speak from personal experience, and you can also sort of just see this observationally, that even, you know, very well capitalized, very large market cap projects, if they have totally decentralized organization, they can't really hire, they can't restructure, they can't have performance reviews, they can't have, you know, a core executive team that sets, you know, targets um, you know, for product shipments and, product launch roadmap um, and, and hold the team accountable. It's very difficult for them to ship in a timely fashion, you know, let alone in a highly strategic and coordinated way. 
And as soon as you take that into consideration, the universe of quote-unquote competitors gets even smaller, right? It's just that we, like, now that we've created Umami Labs LLC, we're very, at least relative to DeFi projects, like, of course, we're still very young and growing and figuring things out, but relative to DeFi projects, we are a well-oiled machine um, capable of doing things that most can't. And that's already, I think, showing up. Um, and it's been reflected in our price action, how quickly you know, we've gotten a lot of interest and attention from influencers and institutional capital, etc. But it's also, I think, will really, really prove itself as a value add uh, with, our, with our product shipment cycle and, and the speed at which we're going to be getting things out. So that's kind of point number one. And the other thing I think that is worth sharing, and I think this is what makes people on the team and our core holder community sort of ultra bullish um, on Umami, or at least highly excited when we think about it. So we have the advantage that I just described. We're in a position, you know, because we also have protocol on liquidity, right? And it's not like we are not well capitalized. There's millions in protocol on liquidity to finance our operations. So, you know, we're in this green field that is Arbitrum. It's poised to become the center of DeFi um, for at least the, the Ethereum ecosystem, the greater Ethereum ecosystem in, you know, the, the coming you know, six to 12 months. Um, all signs point towards that. We're the only project building, you know, the sorts of products and strategies that we are. We're better positioned than others to build it quickly. And, you know, I think as, as you probably know, Tiger, because I know we've, we've spoken quite a bit over the... Uh, first half of this year, that once, once a project you know, in, in an ecosystem like Arbitrum gets to a certain point in terms of its scale, in terms of its user base, its liquidity, it does develop a very strong moat. Really interesting example, if you look at Arbitrum, is you know, GMX has effectively displaced, um, you could argue at least, displaced Curve, or at least it's giving Curve a, a run for its money in terms of you know, dominating liquidity on Arbitrum because GMX managed to get to that scale. Um, and now it's, you know, most, more and more trades are being routed through through them and not Curve. And that's making it very difficult for Curve to get into the game. So we, it's hard to imagine that as long as, you know, we stick to the plan that we have, doing the things that we're doing, that we would not be able to succeed at our goals ship these products, I mean, one is basically finished, and it's a huge product, um, and then have a really strong moat um, going forward, because we will be kind of the premier provider of liquidity and you know, allocated liquidity on Arbitrum and the go-to on-ramp um, that has you know, created these you know, sources of risk-hedged yield exposure um, from all the different you know, sustainable protocol revenue sources on Arbitrum. And one, you know, I, I think we, we already are that. And once the products are shipped, I think that that moat will be very wide. So that's, uh, that's my answer. Does that make sense, uh, Tiger? Yeah, you, you hit what I, what I thought. Um, the, the, what I'm kind of getting from, from that is that you guys have that first mover advantage um, and, and as well as just the efficiency and growing nature mm-hmm. of the business itself. Uh, should be able to position yourself in the company in a way that just makes a lot of your product hard to replicate um, mm-hmm. from an efficiency standpoint. So um, that's that's basically what I was trying to figure out, and I, I really appreciate that. Thank you, guys. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, any other questions on your part, JD? You know, I do have another question, but I want to give some people some some opportunity here, just right. since it's not not too important. But if if I get another chance, I'll I'll definitely ask it. Okay, um, cool. Does anyone else want to ask anything on spaces? And I, I we shared the link um, to our Discord as well. If you just click um, at the comments section below our most recent post of the, uh, where we shared the link to the spaces, if you look into the comments, you'll see a link to our AMA questions and chat in Discord. Close, Cody. Let's go. Hey there, how are you? Doing good. Um, what's on your mind? Uh, so I had a question. You quickly talked about it earlier about uh, composability. Actually, um, I was wondering if, um, for example, right now we like you plan to build USDC, WBC, ETH uh, strategies. Um, Meta vaults, if I understood well, are like all the USDC vaults, like united. Let's say. Uh, do you plan on also doing like cross strategies um, vaults? Like for example, let's say a three three crypto of Umami with USDC, um, USDC, WBTC, and ETH, for example. Okay, you were breaking up a little bit, but oh. it sounds like you were talking about composability, and then the question of whether that composability could extend to other sources of yield like tri-crypto? Is that what you were asking? Um, that's also a question, but it's mostly, um, will strategies work with each other? Like, can we see a strategy that's gonna unite uh, USDC, WBTC, and ETH strategy so it's more man manageable for the user, you know, instead of having to rebalance uh, manually, for example? Okay, so you're talking about a strategy that actually brings together yeah. the USDC vault and like the ETH and the BTC vault. Yes, I mean, and the composability makes that extremely easy. Um, to be honest, that's not been our highest priority because it's fairly low value add, I think, to do that. But there might be some ways we could do it that are more elegant in the future. But uh, I think maybe the best way to walk through your question is to give a very high level overview of kind of our product roadmap because there's kind of a few phases to our strategy and it does lead to what you described as kind of you know, one of the possible endpoints. Um, so right now, you know, goal number one is that, you know, we recognize that you know, the, the number one you know, market that we are trying to really, really dominate on Arbitrum is, you know, these core crypto assets, you know, vaults that offer exposure to them, or in the case of USDC, Delta Neutral, um, and market-leading yield, right? Because there's so much TVL with Ethereum, with BTC, and then with, you know, USDC or other stables that's looking for the best possible yield without forfeiting those assets, right? And it's really, really hard to get ETH yield, for example, um, you know, above very low single digits without going into an LP or otherwise, you know, forfeiting the, the underlying ETH that you hold. Yeah. So we're going to build that, right? And to be, here's the, here's the thing that's important, okay? We do not want to just rely on GLP and, and GMX in general, right? So we are building these initial vaults on top of them. We love GMX. There's nothing, it's nothing against GMX, but our goal is to have, you know, ultimately very diversified sources of yield on Arbitrum. We're willing to go a little beyond Arbitrum as well. Um, in some cases, we have plans for that. Um, but, you know, the first, I th what you're going to see for, it might really take the first six months of the year largely to roll all of this out. 
uh, or rather the second six months of this year, um, will be you know we'll, these core BTC, ETH, USDC vaults, and then additional vaults with the same strategy. And that might seem redundant, but it's actually really, really crucial because we want to onboard institutional capital, right? And so we can't, even having to cap at 100 million USD in TVL is too low of a cap, right? And it is true that if we put more than 100 million TVL into GLP, as it stands now, which is the foundation of our current vault strategy, we would start to dilute yield. Uh -huh. So we will be building more of those. Then going back to your composability, we'll be rolling those up into basically, you know, three core meta vaults, we call them. And so we would have, you know, all of our Delta neutral stablecoin vaults um, would, there would be a single USDC or Delta neutral meta vault that just allocates assets across all of those underlying vaults. And then same with, mm. same with BTC. So that's our initial goal, right? Because then once you have those meta vaults in place, like all the other vaults are building blocks, then you have these core meta vaults in place that can absorb a lot of TVL. They're not overly dependent on one project, right? So even if there's some issue at some sort with GMX, we have yield from many other sources. Um, and so it's much more of a play on all of Arbitrum's growth and, and even sort of, you could say, mainnets as a whole. Um, and at that point, sort of what you're talking about is more of this question of kind of like, a strategic way of allocating, uh -huh. right, between like USDC, ETH, and BTC that maybe is responsive to, you know, different market conditions or, you know, it doesn't require the user to move between those themselves, maybe, you know, an index. But that's very easy when we're using this ultra-composable yeah. ERC4626 tokens, right? We can easily build on top of those meta vaults different strategies um so that's totally in the cards but i just kind of wanted to give you a sense of like sort of step by step that's how we would build it because we actually kind of have to build out the arbitrary ecosystem a bit um you know with this vault liquidity to get to where we're trying to go i, I hope that that was clear yep yep definitely thank you great um and did you have any other questions clones go otherwise we can go on oh um, no that, that was the one yeah sure um, anyone else on Twitter spaces that wants to ask something? Otherwise, I will pivot to our AMA questions and chat on Discord and answer some of those. Anyone want to raise their hand, though, first? Going? Going? All right. So we have a great question here, or at least an interesting question. Let me, let me read through the whole thing. From uh, Cryptees, Celsius has recently gotten itself into a pickle because it was offering higher ETH yields than could be sustained and by utilizing a risky strategy with illiquid ETH. They are now unable to honor the withdrawals. How can you sustain a rate as high as 15% in the bear market without, you know, with lackluster yield conditions without putting investor deposits at significant risk? Well, I mean, that's a great, right? that's a great question. I mean, I think the answer basically to so this person is asking, how are your yields possible in this market, right? Um, and to achieve that, you know, are you making... Is there some kind of hidden risk exposure? And you know, the answer is no. Um, we are transparent about the risks that are sort of inherent to our vault strategy, but we don't think they're not um, in any way sort of like what they're talking about with Celsius. So believe it or not, the, the bear market has kind of, it's had, it has positive effects on yield because the GLP is, is the is a counterparty to the leveraged trades on the GMX platform. So when 
when the market makes sharp movements, um, a lot of leverage traders get wrecked. And GLP collects all that ETH um, or, or BTC or whatever the collateral asset might be. Um, and so its APR can often go up in, in a bad market. Um, the baseline APR of, of GLP has historically been very high. Um, it's been as high as you know, more, over 50%. GMX cut some um, of their own GMX token emissions, but the, ETH, the core ETH yield remains strong, and then that's ranged between sort of low double digits to, you know, well you know, to above. I've seen it above 30%. Often it's around 20%. And, you know, as the platform continues to grow and see more usage, um, we expect that e-field to grow. And, you know, whenever there are these sharp market movements, including a bear market, we see, um, we see yield on GLP often go up. So that's a really strong foundation for the vault, and we aren't doing anything involving leverage or bizarre, illiquid structured trades. We're just depositing, minting GLP. Um, and then, you know, the tracer side, you know, these are, are very special. I mean, tracer is a very special project because they provide short positions that don't liquidate. And, you know, there's some nuances to, you know, to how tracer works, but the essence of it is that, it, yeah, it is possible to have, you know, this 3x leveraged hedging that eliminates, you know, the exposure to ETH and Bitcoin's market volatility that we inherit from minting GLP through Tracer, and then we stake Tracer for, for TCR yield. Um, and yeah, I mean, as TCR is down, um, we, we normally, you know, the vault will swap TCR for USDC. Um, to provide yield to the depositors, and TCR is down, but none, the most recent calculation we ran still pre it predicted 21% APR for vault depositors, and that, that was done last week. So, you know, again, no leverage involved here, nothing illiquid, quite the opposite, um, and that's just a reality of the strategy and of Arbitrum's ecosystem that that's possible. So that's our answer for that. Um, anyone going back to here on our... Uh, Twitter spaces, anyone want to raise their hand, share any thoughts, questions? All right. I'm going to give everyone here just a couple more minutes. Um, it's been a little bit of a shorter call, but let me take a vibe. I mean, how after listening to all this, let me see, you know, I want to see the vibe of the community. It hearts, claps if you guys are feeling good. Um, can I see? Let me get a pulse here. Oh, I'm seeing a request. Hold on from uh, Simple Crypto. There we go, JD Tiger. Okay. Um, simple crypto. Um, you can, you're brought up as a speaker. What's your question? My volume is cut out. I think I can, can you talk again real quick? Yeah, I can talk. Can you hear me? Yeah, it's, it's strange. It's just super low. Anyway, so, so I have kind of a very new question, which is sort of, um, the, the difference between APR and APY and how that uh, Im is implemented with this project because I think there's mm -hmm. monthly payouts and then I'm not actually sure how the auto compounder works in terms question. of the timing. So, for example, I could just take Wait, whatever the APR or APY divide by 12, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure if that's You're true. asking about... You're asking about the APR APY on the Umami token, not on the vault that we're going to be uh, launching. I, I'm, I'm curious about both. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the simple answer is there, actually. So, for the Umami token, it's very straightforward. So, remember, what APY is, is just that—that that is 
what your return would be assuming that you were compounding all of the yield you received back into that investment, whatever it might be, right? Um, so if you marinate your umami, so you put it into, you know, you're holding M umami, you've deposited it into the marinate, um, the, the marinate feature, then APR is, is what is relevant because you're just receiving a, you know, all of the, you know, basically your share of ETH revenue to the protocol just gets pushed to you in real time as it comes in. Um, and then if you were to choose to, uh, to reinvest that ETH, then you would be compounding it. But if you're going to do that, that's why we have the compound, right? And so the compounder automatically takes those ETH payments that, you know, from our protocol revenue that get pushed to you, um, you know, through Marinate, and it just uses it to market buy um, Umami through our LP, right? So that is, that's compounding it, and then APY becomes the relevant um, metric because you can, you can calculate you know, higher yield, of course, if you're compounding everything you get back into the investment. That's the only distinction there. Um, does that part make sense? Then we can talk about the vault. Sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm sort of wondering about the math of it. Like, obviously, it says seven point three, seven point five six, and then I'm not sure if that's assuming a year of holding or. Yeah, that's because a yeah annual right. So that's because the basically what happened just as context, Umami's price went on a huge run, and that made you know AP the calculation is looking at the yield and dividing it over price. And so because the price went up, right, numerically, the yield goes down. Um, and so that's why you're seeing a pretty modest distinction between APR and APY right now. There's multiple levers that can change that. And I think the main one is that once the vault launches, it's going to draw in a ton of revenue, um, much of which is going to get pushed as ETH to marinators. Um, and that figure will go up, at which point the difference between compounding and not compounding will become much more noticeable um, and so it should be single digit difference between you know APY and APR maybe even double digit but we're just not seeing as much right now because the price rose and then the market fell so ETH is worth a little bit less than it used to um, but that will probably not be the state of affairs for long. Okay. So, and then the vault is an APR calculation. It's just assuming that it's not being compounded, which actually means that if you stay in the vault for a long period of time because of the various benefits of compounding, it should exceed whatever figure ends up being advertised as its APR. Uh, gotcha. And does the vault, is the vault also a steady payout or I, I haven't no. totally in the loop sorry that's fine um that's actually a good clarification for people it's not like marinate so like marinate you actually get eth um that you can collect at any point you know pushed in real time and you can see that you know accumulate and when you claim it it goes to your wallet so the way that this works it's an erc 4626 um token and, and what that means is that you you have you deposit into the vault your usdc Yield begins to accrue within the vault, you know, by taking that USDC and allocating it, you know, in accordance with the strategy. And the token that you're receiving when you deposit, um, we're probably going to call it something like NUGLP. It'll it'll be a receipt token showing you that you've deposited into the vault. Um, it's it's a claim on your share of the vault. So what happens is that receipt token rises in value. You can exchange it at any time, or you can exchange just some of the receipt tokens you receive. Um, you know, whatever, in whatever proportion you want for USDC, right? And so then you'll be getting back more USDC than you put in. 
but it's not going to just be pushing a stream of it into your wallet. You collect it when you're ready. So that's just, it's really more of a user experience difference. It doesn't change the tokenomics of the vault in any way. Gotcha. Sounds cool. Definitely cool. sounds cool. Awesome. Um, I see someone else in line, so I will bring him up. Um, Mr. Bull. Hey, Mr. Bull, can you, uh, are you able to speak? Hi. Um, I just have a quick question. Um, so in order to receive this yield, what do I need to do? I need to basically delegate my stable coin or something. I, I am kind of yeah. new here. Okay. So do I need to register or anything? Do you need to what? I'm register. Sorry. No. No. I mean, this is permissionless DeFi, my friend. Right? So you can just deposit into the vault once it's live. Um, it'll be whitelisted for a short period of time. And if you, if you will be automatically on that whitelist if you own even 10 or more Umami. Um, but once that short whitelisting period is, is over, um, you can, it's a permissionless, you know, decentralized smart contract. So you're welcome to just deposit your USDC and you will receive the receipt token that I talked about, right. which is fungible and tradable. And then you can swap that back from, you know, your USDC plus your yield from the vault strategy at any time. Yep, so that's how that works. Okay, so it won't be like uh, Celsius to block uh, after that to be able to take the money back or something like this. You're saying um, a lock period? Yes, long period. And also, what is the percentage, uh, the yield percentage? Because I went to the hex.com and basically pay 48% in a year, which is quite super great. And Come on, like yeah, um, yeah. So, so yeah. No, we this this um, vault does not require a time lock. It has a very small deposit fee of one half of a percent. Um, so that should you know discourage people from moving in and out, you know, within a day or something. Um, but we're really fine with people withdrawing whenever they're ready to withdraw. It just takes uh, twenty four hours um, to tee up a deposit, but that's it. It's not really a time lock. Um, it's just a withdrawal period. So. And it's taking 24 yeah. hours because it's, uh, why will that, uh, uh, let's say, sure. so it's middleman in the middle? There's no middleman, right? Because again, it's a, it's going to be a, it's going to be a decentralized smart contract that, that it's not actively managed, right? Like that we're not really custodians. It's, we're building a smart contract with a certain strategy that will then be live on Arbitrum for people to use. No, the 24-hour period is a function of the fact that the smart contract itself works on an epoch system um, because, you know, it mints these hedges um, and it does, it does that at intervals, at 24-hour intervals. Oh, yeah. um, and the hedges themselves take eight hours to mint. And so, therefore, um, we thought that it was best to create 24-hour epochs where, you know, you can withdraw or deposit whenever you want, but it does take 24 hours. Okay, so what is the APR or APY, uh, monthly APY, APY or yearly, let's say yearly? Um, the, well, yes, there's, I mean, APY is an annual figure. Yeah. Um, and so we use, we use APR, um, and that would be 20% or greater um, for deposited USDC. 20%. Oh. 
because hex.com it's pay 48% so basically you create your own yield you know what i mean okay and that's fine i'd be very curious i'm not familiar with that strategy i'd like to look at the risk profile of that strategy i can tell you that i've seen you know tokenomics um you know they're very emissions heavy that have produced you know temporarily 1 million percent apy right you know 6 months ago mm -hmm. during kind of the heyday of ohm fork season because they're just minting their own native token, right? Which is basically, you know, maybe those tokens right. are often worthless, but, you know, the market still gives them speculative value and that creates an inflated APY. So, I mean, look, if you're able to find, you know, cash on, effectively, you know, to use a finance mm -hmm. term, cash on cash returns of 48% yeah. plus, more power to you, um, I'd like to see the risk return profile. We think that, you know, relative to the risk exposure, which again is delta neutral, using really core, foundational, you know, DeFi projects like GMX and Tracer with sustainable right. yields. We feel very good about what we're offering. Yeah, thank you. Anyway, you can uh, also check uh, hex.com. So you can great, great, great. All right, thank you. I, we, we don't need to talk about hex. Though. All right, no matter. All right, so anyone else want? Uh, I already spoke, but I have another question if we have time. Sure. Uh, so we quickly talked about three cryptos, so about the curve pools, actually. I I would imagine that maybe in the future, vaults will work on curve pools. So um, do you want to focus, actually, because I know that the treasury has a CVX, so do you want to focus more on CVX or also, like, pivot to curve, like, for example, accumulate CRV and under no. the curve bars instead of convex one? No, we'll leave that to Convex and Redacted, right? Like that's just that there are other players in that space. I'm curious to see how it plays out. Um, we're looking at other other strategies for controlling our own liquidity, right? We don't need to win the curve wars. What we do need is to make sure that we have liquidity for specific relevant pairs on Arbitrum for our own strategies, which is why we have you know a strategy that uses you know Swap V3 and our own protocol on liquidity to build our own. Um, our own LPs, and we use, you know, it's Uniswap V3, so we can use very concentrated liquidity, and that's very capital efficient. That allows us to um, have the trading liquidity that we need to execute on our strategies. We're interested in scaling that. Um, it's also been a major source of revenue for the protocol, um, but the curve wars are, are not as relevant for us. And frankly, um, this is a bit more of a macro thesis about Arbitrum, but we don't we, we've noticed that GMX has you know, offered lower slippage and deeper liquidity in a lot of core pairs. Um, and increasingly, DEX aggregators are routing trades through GMX, not Curve. So we think that the Curve Wars might not even prove to be terribly relevant to Arbitrum if you know the deepest liquidity is on GMX. So we certainly have a great relationship with them and are building projects you know, that are, or products that are... You know, built on top of GMX. Um, so we feel very well positioned for Arbitrum. All right, good chat, thank you. Yeah, awesome. And I think with that, I, I'll, I'll open up for one more, uh, one more round of questions. Anyone wanna ask um, anything, final thoughts? JD Tiger, by all means, I know, yes, you said you had something. Right? Yeah, I, I just, you know, and I might show my face um, a little bit here and, and make myself look a little bit stupid just because I don't know too, too much about liquidity pairs. But I, I'm just curious, um, you know, as we watched Ethereum basically nuke uh, within a week and, and drop 45% or, or whatever it did, 
Um, you know, I, I was thinking to myself on how, you know, Umami's liquidity pair, um, especially on, on Uniswap V3 and, and everything is, is paired with ETH. Um, and I was just curious on what was, um, has there been any kind of other thought process yeah. on creating pools that are um, matched with more stable um, style uh, liquidity pairs? But, but like I said, I don't know too much about this world. I don't know if this is just a stupid question. So appreciate it. No, it's not just a stupid question. It's a very smart question that anticipated, you know, something that we're talking about internally and other projects on Arbitrum are too, right? So we, we were ETH paired, as you said, and, you know, we still, we want to maintain ETH liquidity for Umami. I mean, our primary, uh, you know, we pay out in ETH. Our whole, you know, thesis on a really deep level is an ETH maxi thesis, right? We're on an L2 of ETH and that's where we're building. So, you know, we, we're not going to abandon ETH as, you know, a major source of trading liquidity for Umami, but absolutely. Um, we saw that, you know, during this, you know, um, downturn in the market that being paired with ETH, meant that, you know, ETH pulled down our trading price, right? And at the ultimately, I mean, you know, we, we want, we are going to be adding significant amounts of USDC to Umami. Um, what I was thinking about saying, and I guess I'll go ahead and say it, is that the way we think about Umami is as a long-term value play, right? Like we're not if it goes down because the market goes down, it doesn't change our underlying tokenomics or our ability to generate revenue or our ability to grow uh, the ETH payouts to marinators, right? Um, you know, umami stakers. So it, it's not it's not like a terrible concern for us. That being said, of course we want you know just as much price stability in umami as possible as much liquidity, including, you know, cross liquidity between ETH and USDC. And, and we do believe, yeah, to your point, that if if we were a USDC pair, we probably would be trading higher right now. Um, we are, and for that reason, you know, not, not because we're trying to game the price upwards, but because we do want a nice, solid, stable, deep liquidity for Umami, we're going to be adopting more of a hybrid structure where it's you know, closer to 50-50 ETH and USDC. Um, so you're spot on, and, and for what it's worth, we've just kind of heard from our conversations on Arbitrum, a lot of projects that were ETH-based are thinking about that now, because I think what we've seen is ETH still is very volatile, right? And we don't, and I guess that's the core of it, right? We don't want to introduce that volatility to our trading. Um, and so for that reason, you know, we're going to be pairing with USDC. We've heard GMX is also going to be scaling their USDC. GMX pair very soon. Um, Tracer is already primarily USDC. So I do think we're going to see more of that because, yeah, stability in trading price is obviously a priority. Cool. I'm glad I asked the question. I, I am too. Yeah. Um, great. Well, hey, we're almost at an hour. I really want to thank all of you. Uh, just really happy we were able to share this. And we will uh, we'll talk again very soon. Just so you know, you know for those who are still on, um, we're going to be doing this weekly now, 5 p.m. on Fridays, every Friday, for a regular weekly rhythm of updates, even if we do podcasts or AMAs um, with you know outside influencers, as we've been doing. We're always going to check, um, check in here at 5 p.m. to talk to you guys. So with that, see you next Friday. Thank you so much, guys.